0: Welcome back to the Outsource Accelerator podcast. Today on the show, I have Carlo Assumption. Carlo is experienced in macroeconomic surveillance and monitoring of Asian economies with a background on macroeconomic forecasting and economic data analysis. So he is the man to go to when you're talking uh, economics and macroeconomics and specifically about how the Philippines is going. Carlo is currently the chief economist of Union Bank of the Philippines, which is one of the primary uh, banks here in the Philippines. So it's great to have Carlo on the show and have his insights into the current situation of the Philippine economy. And of course, in the podcast, we deep dive into the impact of outsourcing and the prognosis for the recovery of the economy as we hopefully now begin to rebuild after the COVID pandemic. So it's great to have Carlo on the show. As always, you can check out our show notes at OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener, and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash quote. Hi, Carlo. How are you? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, out there Carlo, I, I just want to start by, you are a macro economist and I just want to start by giving the listeners an overview, if you can, of the the Philippine economy and its major drivers.
1: start off, we know what, what happened in 2020. Well, let's just say pre-COVID, um, uh, we were in a position of strength. Uh, the economy was growing um, above 6%. Average. Uh, uh, basically, uh, it's a consumption-driven economy. So, but uh, one major or two major legs are, uh, you know, it's coming from, uh, uh, worth W remittances inflows, and uh, as we know, it's from also from, BPOs. So that's uh, basically both of them are about. Almost 10% of the GDP uh, contribution. Basically. So, um, and then of course we you know that uh, 2020 happened, and we uh, you know we've seen the economy decline as much as negative uh, 9.5%. That's uh, a record uh, since World War II, if I can remember correctly. So that's uh, very deep. So a lot of uh, Basically, consumption has collapsed. Uh, investment has collapsed, um, uh, as well as uh, you know uh, imports, uh, as well as uh, exports, and so basically, almost just stopped. You no, know? then towards um, latter parts of uh, latter part, third and fourth quarters of. Uh, 2020 last year, we, we, we saw some sequential improvements in the economy. Um, uh, people were growing out more, at least. But still, it's still very subdued. Uh, uh, also, uh, we know that investment is also particularly private investment is subdued. subdued uh, of course, it's the government who has been Out there, Uh, we came up with Bayanian 1 uh, and Bayanian 2 as fiscal stimulus, helping the uh, most vulnerable, uh, trying to help the uh, MSMEs and uh, setting them up. uh, And um, pretty much, uh, as mentioned, we ended up still at a very deep negative 9.5%. And, um, well, moving forward, To 2021, we do expect, in the bank we expect, uh, you know, better uh, GDP this first quarter. We're hoping that it's going to be positive already, uh, but it's still very, very slightly low as we uh, expect. Uh, But uh, uh, we'll take any positive number at this point. So, um, yeah, that's where things are at uh, on the
0: market. Absolutely. And the, you know, as you say, the OFWs, which are the overseas foreign workers, which have for a long time been the powerhouse or, or certainly a good foundation for the Philippine economy, uh, they contribute about 10%, 11% to the GDP. And then also outsourcing has contributed um, a similar amount to the GDP. So they're sort of considered the two powerhouses from what I understand. How, how did they fare throughout COVID? Were they particularly... Uh, impacted, or were they more resilient than some of the other sectors, for example, travel, tourism?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. Uh, for um, for overseas Filipino workers, uh, we've seen that, um, well, initially we were actually expecting it to be really declining deep to as much as uh, 10 to 20%. That's part of um, the lockdown, we were like, Expecting that, and then uh, as uh, the uh, year went on, and then uh, eventually this January the, the final numbers came out, and it was actually a surprise—just negative 0.8. So um, very 1%. We were towards the end expecting between negative 1 to 2% already, but it's still uh, well, it's still done better than we expected at, uh, as mentioned, negative, eight point, uh, sorry, negative 0.8%. So uh, in terms of that, in terms of remittances, it has been resilient. And uh, we've seen that uh, a lot of it came from, um, the uh, a bulk of it came from the U.S. Uh, source. You know? uh, we've seen also how um, the Middle East was impacted. Uh, A lot of 400,000 to 500,000 were repatriated. So we've seen that these are actually largely uh, contract workers versus migrant workers. Uh, We know that uh, in the U.S. there are a lot of migrant workers. Migrant workers basically who are already staying there and uh, sending out money still to their families here. Um, And we've seen that... that, uh, The uh, Filipinos abroad were very resilient. We've seen that. um, I'd say I'd I'd qualify that as uh, just uh, really the the value that that, uh, largely Filipino uh, espouse in terms of family. When there's trouble, you know, when it talks, when everybody's talking about family, they just, you know, they they do anything, they do uh, what they can to Mm -hmm. support it. So, and now um, with uh, well, at least for outsourcing, you know, uh, um, you know that that the early part of yeah the uh, the lockdown, there's just a lot of confusion with um, with how we transport, with uh, you know uh, everybody was uh, of course it was a, a government had to do it during that time, you know, so. Uh, but with little uh, with little you know uh, guidance and uh, uh, even feedback first so from uh, stakeholders and so uh, at least for the PPOs, they were they caught surprised, especially with uh, moving people around making sure that people are are their guests and uh, doing the stuff they need to do and so uh, there was an impact on would say an adverse impact on outsourcing, you know. But but looking beyond the pandemic, you know, I mean, just looking historically with, uh, with SARS, you know, with, with, with the way um, SARS played out before, uh, after after the uh, incident or the, the situation with SARS, uh, the Philippines saw a, a uptick in Growth in, in expansion in outsourcing in the Philippines. So um, I've been I've been I've been talking about that actually. Uh, you know, hoping that you know when when the dust settles, you know, with the cost cutting, you know, um, you know uh, outsourcing will, will continue to, to expand in the Philippines, and uh, that's my
0: uh, hope for. So it's yeah, that's certainly what I see on the, on the ground in, in outsourcing. I, I have this theory, and I don't know if, if, if it holds any water, but the Philippine economy, because of the OFWs and because of outsourcing, it's particularly interconnected to the welfare and success of overseas economies. You know, if if overseas economies aren't doing so well, then there's going to be less OFWs and probably less outsourcing. Do you is, does that kind of hold water? And is that you know a, a better position to be in? It seems like interconnectedness kind of uh, distributes yeah. your your risk or or exposure.
1: Yeah, well, well, uh, in in usual in economic jargon these days, coupled. <laughs> And then the Swain, there's always a question of whether you know when so the East is decoupling from the West. They say so, but you know, I think it's it's really it, it does hold water, you know. And um, we've seen that in the past years, and how, uh, if, if for example, advanced economies within also within the region that are are are, are largely into outsourcing in the Philippines. Um, are not doing well, definitely the firms that um, are based in those countries are not doing well as well. And they, there is certainly uh, some uh, impact on how these firms will eventually, whether or not they uh expand or even just uh, reduce their presence or reduce the employment of the people here in the Philippines. So, so I think... I think with your observation or question to whether it holds water, I think it, it does. Not even um, even with uh, OFW remittances, it, it did somehow at least on the, the onset or the first early part of, uh, for example, here in uh, last year, 2020, talking about the pandemic. You know, uh, but but still, what's amazing was uh, I, I think. Um, with uh, remittances, it's much more, I'd say, uh, we're, we're like, uh, uh, how do I say that? Uh, we're more uh, diversified, say. Diversified in the sense that, um, of course, there are contract workers that could easily be repatriated and therefore incomes lost, uh, but there are migrant workers as well uh, versus if you're going to look at um, uh, the structure, or at least how uh, it is with outsourcing, I think with outsourcing we're more exposed uh, to uh, uh, the way the global economy is uh, working or, or, or developing. Now, so um, with, uh, with 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 uh, remittances, I'd say, yeah, more, more. Uh, Diversified, therefore, you know, um, uh, least least exposure. I mean, that that pretty much explains how it has been uh, the last year because uh, we were really expecting it to be very deep, and yet uh, it ended up
0: the way it did. Uh, so, yeah, and from my loose understanding, the Philippines generally has shown great resilience. You know, in the in the more recent economic um, tough times, the the Philippines has generally done pretty well, hasn't it? Um, if if COVID had not have happened, it seemed that you know the Philippines was very much a rising star of the region. Um, maybe you can you can clarify this, but for many years there was about six percent year on year growth, um, which is a pretty impressive sustained uh, uh, rate, um, and that shown no signs of really abating. And from my perspective, the the outsourcing industry, which was a major, which is a major driver of the economy, is going from strength to strength. Um, what you know, what were you projecting prior to COVID in the sort of medium term for the Philippines?
1: Well, we were. Um, well, we know that this uh, uh, present administration has been uh, harping on uh, infrastructure. You know that. Um, Previously, this uh, previous to this administration um, uh, infrastructure spending was uh, barely in two percent or even lower. I mean, compared to uh, countries in the region, it's a measly number. So um, when when this administration came in, there was just hope that uh, you know uh, a lot more could be spent in infrastructure. Therefore. Hopefully, it has that uh, you know, multiplier effect in the economy, and, uh, uh, and, and more people will in, be uh, included in uh, economic development. So, um, we were actually uh, expecting, you know, still within that 6% growth, and even uh, well, expecting 7% or even more. Um, if, uh, you know, if if COVID-19 hadn't, uh, you know, happened and um, pretty much a a more robust uh, uh, growth and specifically outside uh, the usual uh, uh, of uh, development like Metro Manila. Pretty much when we, we were I was looking at the numbers. There's just uh, a lot of uh, development outside of Mexico that's been happening in terms of uh, regional economic growth, for the like, uh, region, uh, up north, uh, of course Davao, of course in in Visayas also, of course you know Cebu and uh, some parts of Panay, uh, Iloilo. So. Um, we did expect these things to happen, you know, and um, in more, I would say, a decentralized growth uh, with the way uh, you know the plan, the, the uh, build, 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 was uh, taking shape. So, um,
0: yeah, that's that's that was what we were expecting pre-COVID. Right. And how has the administration gone with the infrastructure? build, have they, what has the, you know, the, the the relative budget allocation been over the last few years then?
1: Yeah, well, this, this year, 2021, it's, uh, 5.4% of GDP, about 1, 1.1 to 1.3 trillion pesos. Um, but if I'm going to look back at their plans, that's pretty much on, yeah, on, on target, I mean, Uh, because they do uh, plan to spend at least 7% by the time they end, 2022. So, 5.4% is uh, pretty uh, well within uh, the targets. But um, uh, we know that uh, the previous administration was uh, uh, focused on the uh, public-private partnerships, or the PPPs, and uh, a lot of it actually came up or went online Uh, during the Duterte administration, which uh, props to them. Uh, And we know that uh, with the Duterte administration, uh, they've been uh, a lot more focused on what you call ODA, or official development assistance uh, type of uh, development, infrastructure development, where uh, we get help from governments around the region. Uh, Japan, uh, well, of course, the United States, um, uh, Australia also and of course China uh, which uh, has been uh, uh, the, uh, the cry of uh, the, this administration at their, at, at when they started. So uh, um, at this point uh, there's been alignment that has happened uh, uh, but, but a lot of the projects now uh, are still going to be via the official development assistance from either World Bank or the Asian Development Bank. Um, uh, of course, there are still some uh, public-private partnership projects, uh, but but it's yeah, it's it's ongoing. It's um, it has been, of course, um, affected by COVID-19. Um, there's been uh, a huge uh, I'd say uh, everything stopped as well you know? and um, uh, especially the movement of workers and of course uh, you know how construction construct, construction work is done you know uh, because uh, they didn't want to spread the virus of course workers are not allowed to do it so uh, but until recently they have started opening it up again so uh, uh at least, pretty much, it's 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 starting again. So, uh, but um, as mentioned, uh, uh, the impact uh, has been significant.
0: When an economy is growing so fast, it, it typically does stress and test the the infrastructure. And you know, it, as as it was growing so fast, people were always mentioning the infrastructure and. Uh, you know, telecommunications and transport and things like that. So hopefully now that is coming more under control and and catching up slightly. What about uh, education, and obviously educating the masses? This country is a very lucky country, the Philippines, in that it has a very young workforce, um, which I believe has a, you know, huge implication for, for positive upside for the economy. But of course, all of those people have got to get educated so that they can Contribute meaningly to the to the to the new economy uh, is how how is what's the state of education? I know this isn't your, your wheelhouse, but the the state of education in the Philippines.
1: Yeah, well, I've been actually been just listening to some um, reports and also reading some stuff. Uh, we know that the uh, pandemic has uh, relegated much of uh, education uh, online. No, um, I'd say for for the private uh, educational institutions, it's it's still a challenge, but you know, um, I think they can manage. But I think the real problem now is uh, for the public schools, where most of the students don't really have uh, ready access to uh, you know uh, digital gadgets and uh, connections. I mean, not just connections, but really reliable and uh, fast connections, uh, internet connections, and um, you know, just even today, I was like, you know, you know, the the upload was like upload the connections having problems, and I was thinking about this interview. So, but uh, you know, that's how huge it is now that everyone is, you know, at home and and. Um, definitely there is some impact on the quality, and hopefully, um, you know, government gets a chance to, um, you know, find a way how to uh, eventually, you know, bring back uh, face-to-face somehow. I don't know how it's going to happen, but, you know, it's, it's really taking a toll on uh, education uh, from the primary to the secondary, which are very, very important uh Aspects of education as you move forward to, towards the tertiary education, and um, you know, I, I really, I really think that uh, something has to be done um, uh, immediately so that uh, you know, quality, further quality, um, uh, will not be, you know, will not suffer. Uh, we know that quality has always been the question from the very beginning. Whether uh, well pre-pandemic so I think that's it, it has really be- become
0: a, a huge challenge uh, with uh, education right now and from what I understand of, of maturing economies and as economies get wealthier uh, you know and I, I think this might pertain to the Philippines is is in the earlier days there's generally a, a, a wealthy class and elite and then there's nothing in the middle and then there's uh, the poorer people and as a Economy matures and gets wealthier, then the middle um, market, middle economy, uh, middle class emerge, and I, you know, I think that might be the case with the Philippines. But do you see kind of a the rising middle class, and is that then the main driver for the consumer economy that is is strong now in the Philippines?
1: Yeah, well, with the pandemic, um, you know, pre-COVID, that's the. That's what is being expected, you know, the grow the growth of the middle class. That that is actually the plan with, uh, you know, government's plan of uh, call uh, Ambition Twenty Forty. That's that's the goal by twenty forty at least. You know, um, Uh, families can can earn as much as at least a hundred ten thousand pesos. You Know a year that's uh pretty much the goal for a lot of families, hopefully, to reach that, that level, and then people having access to um uh, uh, education, uh, families of five, you know, so everyone going to school. So, uh, but, but that has been derailed definitely by the pandemic, where uh, now unemployment has uh, risen to about 8.7. That's the last number that we, we got from the Philippine Statistics Authority. That's way above the uh, the usual number of 5.1% to 5.4% uh, pre-COVID. You know? So um, we know that if incomes are hurt, uh, definitely that aspiration for uh, uh growth of the middle class, of course, is also affected. So um, it, it's really a challenge now because um, uh, we know that, um, well, basically, we you know that uh, not unless um, vaccines are rolled up and uh, at least uh, the country reaches some uh, level of herd immunity, um, uh, you know, economic recovery that will, uh, again, you know, bring us back to that uh, target and goal of, uh, you know, growing the middle class is not going to happen. So, or it's not going to happen quickly. So that, that has to be priority at this point so that, you know, uh, uh, you know incomes will uh, not only rise, but hopefully will come back, you know, for, for, for supposedly the growing middle class.
0: And what is the what are you projecting for a recovery? I mean, I suppose it's highly dependent on the resolution of COVID, but I suppose at least there's no sort of fundamental issues other than this disease. And and once it's kind of got rid of, I assume there's great hope for a V-shaped recovery. But what are they? What are you projecting for 2021 and 2022? Yeah, well, 2021
1: we're, we're expecting. Um... About five point five percent, still, you know, below the performance. No? So, uh, well, but but it's it's positive. So. But uh, going back to pre-COVID level, we're, we're thinking, uh, we're expecting at uh, 2022 second half. Uh, well, the underlying assumption there is that uh, vaccines are going to be uh, widely distributed already. So, and as well we know that 2022 is the election year and we know that election years uh, normally has some certain bump because of election spending by uh, politicians. Everybody just, like you know, getting into the consumption circus, Mm -hmm. at least the election election year that usually happens. So um, the, the 2022... Second half. That's uh, going back to people COVID level, and that's uh, pretty much uh, uh, that. That's that's an optimistic, uh, uh, I'd say, expectation. Uh, but if uh, if the vaccine gets delayed further, or gets delayed for some reason, um, and, uh, because of new variants mm-hmm. coming out just recently. You know that in Pasai, there is what you call the, because because it's just referred to as a number, the South African variant, as they say, it's Mm B B1. Referred to it as a B1, it's more, they say it's more um, um, transmissible and it does, uh, uh, you know, weaken the immunity provided for by the vaccines, so... (laughs) <laughs> we're not even getting the vaccines yet, but we do have some variants that are going to weaken already. So that's kind of really puts into, uh, puts, uh, well, this, you know, uh, encourages more, uh, I'd say, uncertainty uh, moving forward to that. If it does uh, provide, um, you know, um, if it does, you know, results to some uptick and, uh, uh, probably some uh, rolling restrictions in, in different areas, uh, particularly uh, larger parts of uh, the economy, or at least contributors to the economy, like NCR, for example, or even Laguna. So there there might be some uh, you know, hiccups, I'd say, and probably we'll see uh, pre-COVID levels by uh, 2023 mid-part, so that the 2022 um, uh, initial uh, expectation of
0: prospect could be moved further downward to 2023. It really calls into question what the new normal will be, you know, if, if there are going to be new variants, if the if the vaccine will work against a new variant, and maybe a sort of a level of quarantine will become a, a new prolonged normal. It's um, it's it's crazy, isn't it? And it has such a such a wide ranging impact on on everything. Uh, Carlo, one one thing that I'm absolutely mystified by is is the future of city centres uh, globally, but you know more specifically in Manila, um, and the future of offices. You know, even if uh, COVID is is Completely uh, sent packing and, and got rid of. I, I think there's been a huge change in in work habits and the acceptance of remote work. And also, you know, more than most other cities, the Manila is sort of blighted by bad traffic and weak uh, public transport. Which, which you know, most cities would have a typical commute time of forty five minutes. And in Manila, it's not unusual to have. A two or three-hour commute time, so you know, in in kind of response to COVID and the difficult environment to commute, do do you think city centres in Manila are are dead? Like, would you be investing in commercial office space right now?
1: Yeah, well, i, I, I think twice. Yeah, you know, I really think twice. You know, even uh, you know us, of course, uh, also in the bank, you know. Uh, we have been working uh, from home since March. Mm. So, uh, but uh, if I look at our output, uh, it's basically the same. We're, we're, we deliver the same stuff you know, month by month, year. But, yeah, we're, it's, it's just that we're, we're at home, but we're delivering. So um, I think uh, it's going to be difficult because I know that some industries are not that way, you know. Uh, I know that even in our own group, there are certain departments or units that need to, you know, be there at uh, the headquarters or they need to be elsewhere, not just, you know, down at home. So uh, I I think that we're talking about um, whether or not cities. Are, are going to be, you know, having a hard time. But, but you know, I, I know that government has had already been um, uh, espousing for what you call a decentralization, in the sense mm-hmm. of development. So we uh, there has been programs by uh, government, particularly, if I'm not mistaken, the EICT, of uh, having uh, digital cities, cities with uh, you know good connections, etc. and all this stuff, making sure that um, you know uh, wherever you are, you're gonna have a, a good connection, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So um, and um, I know that it's it's there in their pipeline, and and with COVID, that actually is being uh, I'd say um, quickened. Mm-hmm. Huh? Um, I, I know people that uh, who've already moved out of their condos here in the city and who are actually already outside of Metro Manila, uh, either Batangas or in Laguna or probably in Bulacan already, uh, but they're still doing their stuff. No? And um, that, of course, when you're in those places, you get to buy in those places, you get to spend your money in those places, not here in No, So um, it, it does have some, yes, it does impact uh, the centers, the usual centers, because there will be some, uh, potentially some reduction, I would know, uh, say, in economic activity. But uh, that will be transferred elsewhere. So, um, and that could be a good thing in a sense, because, uh, of course people would demand, uh, you know, uh, certain, uh, products out there and there'll be opportunities for, for different firms already out there in, in, in different areas. So, uh, it, at this point, it's, it's really just a sort of, a, as mentioned, decentralization of, uh, I'd say economic development, no, But you uh, still um, people may, you know. But uh, at this point, uh, uh, if it's hard for me to think um, people uh, returning to the way it is. You know, probably some will be hesitant at this point until, of course. Uh, the vaccines are all rolled out, and people, are, the community has a certain level of immunity. You know? So, um, yeah, but, but that's where things are at, and I think that uh, moving form, forward, forward, you know, uh, there'll be a lot of decentralization happening, and um, people might uh, be, you know, hesitant to come back in the way things,
0: you know, are usually done. And do you think a big Kind of economic migration like this, you know. I know in Ortigas, which is one of the central business districts of Metro Manila, there's about eight hundred thousand square meters of office space that's meant to be delivered this year. You know, which is sort of potentially space for about a hundred thousand workers. And obviously, in the time that that office space has been delivered, there's COVID, and probably, you know four or five hundred thousand workers have moved out of Ortigas or certainly not going to their offices anymore. And do you think that, you know, such a big sort of economic migration and and people deserting the offices could almost be a catalyst or a trigger for a deflationary cycle and a and a and a sort of, you know, kind of really worrying economic downturn? Yeah, well, it's really hard to tell. It's you know,
1: really hard to tell because um, um, even now, when well, we look at the numbers, we talk about inflation, uh, it's been on the supply side. The problem has been on the supply side. That's why it's just been an uptick in, in. Because we know that because of the collapse of consumption, you know, uh, supposedly uh, inflation is, uh, you know, supposedly just 1% to 2% at this point. Uh, uh, but uh, right now we're, we're we're out of the range of the central bank already, and we we're we're actually expecting a four point four point eight already this uh, February. So from a four point two last January, those two numbers are already out in the two to four uh, percent inflation target range by the central bank. So, but it, it's really hard to tell at this point because of uh, certain volatilities. Are happening, you uh, know, and uh, we will see if um, you know if if, if, if that uh, you know, thinking of uh, certain deflationary uh, things happening because of uh, huge amounts of uh, I'd say uh, migration outside of uh, the usual centers can actually uh, can have a particular impact. So, but at this point, um, it's it, it's it's difficult because uh, also the spending is at least at this point somehow has been transferred elsewhere. When transferred online, mm. you know, other people are still buying online. You know, and uh, you know, I myself is buying online. Mm. You know, um, it, it's pretty much I would say the same thing, but it's just that you're buying it online. So um, in terms of uh, the the deflationary thing happening, it's it's still, uh, it's hard to tell.
0: And I I certainly, you know, I'm uh, in contact with, with various people in DICT and they're the big proponents for the next wave cities or the digitization of the, of the more provincial cities, as you say, to try and get more economic activity out there, get more outsourcing out there, get them connected to the global economy, and it, it's certainly happening. And I can only imagine that that COVID has been a a, a good catalyst for for this to to happen quicker and faster. Um, you know, I don't know if it is on the radar of of the government or macro economists, but the Freelancer economy, the gig economy, the uh, virtual assistant or VA economy is absolutely booming in the Philippines. There are some estimates. Well, Upwork apparently, uh, which is one of the big freelancer platforms, uh, itself suggests that there's about three and a half million Filipinos working on their platform. Um, And the assumption is that most of those people are really off. The radar, they're earning relatively good income, and they're relatively off the radar. So it's likely that they're not uh, declaring their income, paying taxes, and things like that. Is that is that on the radar of the government? And you know, I have heard that the government is obviously aware of it. Um, They would prefer taxes to be paid, of course, but also, you know, it's a it's a very good thing for the economy. That um, global funds are feeding into into the provinces, um, do you have any perspectives on that sort of huge and growing gray economy?
1: yeah well uh, I think it's really uh, again um, it plays into the resilience of the Filipino no? um, We know that a lot of people are, are lost have lost their Job, job opportunities their jobs huh? and uh, I think that people are some of them are actually moving into that and uh, just finding ways to uh, earn a living just like uh, like I mentioned it's like a natural buoyancy of the economy in a sense that people even though uh, there are restrictions people will go out you know they have to earn money they have to find a way to get the living so but they're not going to be stupid so they're going to protect themselves and not uh, you know, I mean, that, those kind of stuff. But, of course, um, uh, talking about that, that gray economy, that, that, that gig economy, yes, I think that that that's an offshoot because trying to look for ways to, to earn more and to earn a living out of this because of the pandemic also. And uh, I think previous to the even the pandemic, I know that, that people are out there. People are into those things and... Uh, you know, in fact I, I, I've met somebody even just setting me up for for an interview it's like a virtual assistant so I was like wow it does happen it, it is out there no and I think government is uh, on the lookout and I if I'm not mistaken they have they are pushing for a, uh, a law uh, reform I think that that basically also uh, scopes that this particular economy or this particular way of, you know, doing things, of making sure that, uh, you know, uh, you know, the government is 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 going to tax you when you're doing uh, any economic activity within its realm. So I think there is some effort, uh, specifically on the legislation part, to. To formalize, now formalize uh, at least uh, how uh, how how you can eventually tax this uh, this this part of the economy.
0: Fantastic, and I suppose just as a as a as a uh, final question and final point. I mean, how. What are your thoughts? Again, you know, eventually I assume we're, we're going to recover from this COVID. Um, what do you see as the sort of medium to long-term prospects for the Philippines? Do you think it could ever become a, a Singapore? It's got a, you know, super young population, English-speaking population. Um, do you have sort of high hopes and prospects for the Philippines?
1: Yeah, well, one thing that uh, um, uh, I think that we should avoid... <laughs> Because there's some, you know, uh, I'd say uh, analysts and uh, certain think tanks that are saying that the Philippines will be part of the G20, particularly number 18 by 2050, which I will be 77 by then. (laughs) So uh, one thing that I think that needs the government, the Philippines needs to avoid will be the middle income trap. Uh, I know that... um, we do have a very young population and uh, uh, demographic sweet spot. You know, we're, we're in there. You know? uh, many 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 parts of the population are, are productive, and uh, if given the chance, they will eventually contribute to the economy. And, uh, therefore, increase uh, you know uh, the pie hopefully, you know, and um, and. Um, you're asking me if it will happen. I think uh, one big, uh, aside from uh, the current uh, situation we're in, of course, COVID, and you know, get out of it. Um, I think more important part would be now, because 2020 is just around the corner, and uh, making sure that we pick uh, somebody who's gonna be you know, leading the charge and, uh, you know, making sure that uh, government uh, stays to become an enabler as it is, as as it should be, rather than a disabler concept. Uh, Somebody or some entity that will help, uh, you know, uh, common people to achieve the goals and uh, provide opportunities for as many people as possible. So I think uh, it can happen under the right leadership and um, uh, so a leadership that will be inspiring and leadership that will be, uh, I would say, benevolent. So, and uh, yeah, I think it, it can be because we already have uh, the ingredients, uh, as you mentioned. We have you know, a great population and I know
0: that human resources are best resource right now. So some cautious optimism there from you, Carlo. Carlo, thank you so much for your time and valuable insights. If anyone wants to get to know you more, get in touch with you, uh, read any of your work, how can they do that?
1: I am very active or I have uh, actually um, social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook. I do have a uh, YouTube channel, uh, which... Uh, I think to I need to update more, you know, but you can get me or you can catch me in
0: in, in those platforms. You just have to find, find Carlos and show. Sure. That was Carlo Assunction. He is the chief economist of Union Bank of the Philippines. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourcedaccelerator slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.